You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Guys, good morning. Um, Thomas, Thomas just mentioned the, uh, the, the break over the summer. I, I just want to say don't, don't see it as like a checkout moment, almost see it as a check-in moment. I think these are, sometimes we can get caught in the routine or the rhythm of like a Sunday thing, and we don't, we don't really want to do that. So I think these present amazing opportunities to uh, be highly relational and to increase the community connectivity among us. And I'd, in, I'd encourage you to do that. Also, I don't know if he did say I missed it, but uh, we, there also will be still an online presence throughout the whole thing. So um, obviously the weather in Manchester is always like this, and it's not going to rain when we're having barbecues and picnics and things, but uh, that is happening. Also, uh, just before I jump in this morning, I just wanted to ask, uh, that you don't have to answer out loud, but some of you will have an increased longing and yearning and like a stone in your heart around intercession and uh, we would love just to know some of you we know some of you but there'll be more of you and that we don't know and so if that is you could you just get in touch with Pascal we'd love to more intentionally um, work alongside you and and um, feed you with some of the things that are going on that really we could just do with um, leaning into and, and praying for. So that would be very helpful to know. Um, yeah. It, uh, today is the last in the series, for those of you that have been with us on this series that I've called It Takes a Village. So some of you are like, thank goodness, how long has this thing gone on for? Slightly longer than I planned. Um, but hopefully it's been helpful. They, I guess if you're joining us today, I'd say that there's two things we're trying to do. We're trying to speak intentionally into parenting and intentionally into what it is to raise spiritual sons and daughters. And I know for a number of you, it's been an incredibly hard journey. Today isn't necessarily any easier. Um, but I also know just even this week, I read a couple of messages from some of you just how powerful it has been in freeing you and releasing you so we obviously praise God for that and it often doesn't come without a cost does it it's hard to step into um, the the place of liberation Um, and I guess today I want to press slightly more into that um, to stir it among us to kind of try and land some of that I guess all that we're ever trying to do week in week out if I'm really honest, I'm just going to find a different way of coming at it every single week that you're here, is to open your eyes to more of Jesus and to find a slightly different way just to point you to the, to the same person and to encourage you to live a life of surrender and service to him and for him. So today, hopefully, will be no different than whatever the next series is. It'll probably be a series that isn't a series because we've only got a couple of weeks before we have a break. But all we're really trying to do is point you to Jesus, live in in the knowledge and realisation that we can't change others, but we can change ourselves, and we can offer and present ourselves before him to be changed. Isaiah 64, verse 8, And yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are formed by your hand. We're moulded and formed by his hand, in the hand of the Father. And we want to intentionally place ourselves in that place and to put ourselves there. So my aim and my hope is uh, never to condemn you, but it is certainly to shape you 
and it's certainly to shape myself and then to inspire us to step into more of that. So I guess as we round this thing off, can I, can I ask you just two questions to, to reflect on? One would be, what does God say about how parents are to treat, treat their children? And what does God say about how children are to treat their parents? Two very different questions, hopefully with fairly similar answers. Exodus 20, verse 12, the Ten Commandments says this, Honour your father and mother, then you will live a long life, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Ephesians 6, 1, children obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment, and it kind of comes with a promise. If you honour your father and mother, if you honour them, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Fascinating, isn't it? 1 Timothy 3, verse 4, kind of speaking into the requirements of what it is to be a leader within a church context, it says this, he must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? And it's through obedience and it's through honour that we learn so much and we're shaped so much. I want to be really careful, though, in saying that. And for some of you particularly, I realise this is extremely challenging. But for some of you, that understanding actually presents you with a significant conflict to just take that as it is. And as I said it, some will have parents that have lost the right to have that honour and obedience. And I want to be clear about that. I'm not saying this is at all costs. Some of you will have been incredibly challenging environments and it is not right that it is as it says there. You almost have to withdraw that for your own safety and protection. But in this context, obey means to be under to be under something, and when that's healthy and when that's wholesome, that is an incredibly liberating thing. It's the ability to listen and respond to somebody else's direction. So honour is the ability to respond to somebody else's direction and to listen to that. Do you find it fascinating that that really isn't something we like to do? Or is that, oh, maybe that's just me. But do you, do you find that? When somebody else tells you what to do or advises you what to do, how quickly and how easily that grates with you. You know, if I'm really honest and I'm in a healthy place and a right place, I really love it. Because how liberating it is when you have a God-loving person, a God-fearing person ahead of you. I want to follow them and lean into them with everything within me because we learn to serve God through obedience. So we learn something through them and the Jesus that we see in them teaches us something of the heart of the Father and they have something that they can reveal and open to us. But our natural inclination so often actually is to run a mile from leaning into others. God, though, has actually designed us so that we experience joy when we do what is right. We can actually find joy in obedience and submission. And I guess that's partly what I just want to stir among us today because you quite easily see it um, in, in younger children. They, they know, don't they, sometimes when their parents are pleased with them 
they also know the absolute reverse. And there is, they can find a joy in obedience. They can find a joy in pleasing their parents. And it should be the same with us. I guess this is the context of this series. Ephesians 5, 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Do you know what pleases the Lord? Because they're the things we want to find and do. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Part of what we're supposed to be about is finding ways to please the Lord. Deuteronomy 5.16, honor, not other, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you. Then you will live a long life, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Blessing follows obedience. You, you, will have, you will have seen that many times in your life, but blessing follows obedience. There's this moment where Mary and Joseph didn't quite know where Jesus was. We could talk about that maybe another time because that needs unpicking. But Luke 2, 49. Why did you need to search for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all the people. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature through obedience. As he stepped into obedience, what came on him? Wisdom and stature. Obedience and honor are crucial building blocks in our lives. They are a struggle but they're worth the struggle. They're life-developing actions and attitudes. If you're in an environment where that isn't there, I, I want to say keep fighting for it. Some of you are parents of children where that isn't there. Instead of fighting them, fight for them. Honestly, it is worth fighting for. Don't, don't give up just because it has been a long, long period of wrestling. If we were to pin down so much of this series just into a few words, I'd probably say the word that would come up again and again and again and again is nurture. When we nurture, we set up an environment of growth. We can't cause growth, that's God's job, but we can nurture growth. And it's, I, I think I said it last week, it's kind of like gardening, just a few simple principles, a few simple things in the right direction. You water, you feed, you protect, you weed. It's nurturing. We want to be people that nurture. And so what would be uh, some of the key elements of nurturing as a parent? Well, I, I, I just want to reflect, if I can briefly, with you on three. The first one would be treat your children as a gift from God. The second one would be treat them as a stewardship from God. And the third one would be treat them as brothers and sisters. And let me just, if I can, explain each. Treat them as a gift from God. Psalm 127, verse 3. Children are a gift from the Lord. They're a reward from him. Imagine if we believed that about each other. Just, just take it in the spiritual sense for a moment that, that, that you to me, you are a gift from God. You're a reward from him. Imagine if we saw it through that lens. Those that you're investing in, those that are in your small group, those that you get to do life alongside are a gift to you from God. Those night feeds those chore moments in your parenting journey are a moment of investment because they are a gift from God. And yeah, I, I know, I totally get it. I'm not trying to be naive. There are hassles and there are heartaches. 
I'm not trying to live in cuckoo land with that, but I want to believe for more. I want to believe for more for you because we, we are more than we've become so often. So often we limit ourselves and we box something in, but we should be so much more when we see it from a kingdom perspective. And we've got to keep the truth in our minds and keep reminding ourselves that they're a gift. You are a gift to each other. I've always known our children, our, our actual children, are a gift. You, as many of you know, the, the story for us was one of heartache. We longed for children. We didn't think it was going to happen. And, uh, one of them went home early. We, we honestly know that our children are a gift. And I, I want to remind you today, if I can, that they're a gift. And you to each other are a gift. Honestly, please try and find ways to see it through that lens rather than the lens of irritation or frustration. They're a gift to you from God. The second one is treat them as, as a stewardship from God. And the word means so much more than manager. Stewardship is something that God has given us to manage well. And we often use stewardship in relation to money but it's so much more than that. The way we manage our time or our words or our attitudes or our relationships. You manage your time through your calendar and you manage your money through a budget, but the tool for managing or stewarding children is through love. So again, if they're a gift from God, if we are a gift to each other, the way we steward that gift is through a love for each other. John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my, my disciples. The people who aren't part of the community that we're part of see us and interact with us and see us interacting with each other and realize, therefore, that we follow Jesus. That is the kind of love that the Father talks about. Without love, people just end up on this conveyor belt or this assembly line with people who are supposed to be immersed in, birthed in, and nurturing love among us. And then the final one is you treat them as brothers and sisters. And I realize that's probably a weird thing to say, and it kind of was for me, but I've been thinking about it in this context. I dropped our eldest daughter the other week at her dance class, and for the, for the previous few weeks, her teacher had been quite mean, not necessarily to her, but to some of the other kids. And you know how it gets. It's like, it was honestly like a pack of wolves among the parents. There was always conversations going on and I was trying to avoid half of them but but I also was like no this is a thing you know some of the kids are crying and you, I could sense it anyway this this teacher was kind of she'd got some stuff that was obviously leaking out into that environment and so as we drove away dropping her off I said to her youngest daughter let's let's pray for Soph and uh, Liv said you you need to pray for God's daughter and uh, I, I, I said I did. That's what I just did when, when I prayed. And she said, you didn't. And I was like, oh, we're getting into like one of those interesting <laughs> wrestle moments with, with a five-year-old. So I, I prayed again. And rather than saying Sophie, I said I pray for my daughter. Because I was like, if there's any confusion, we're just going to alleviate this. And I said, I, I kind of went quite big then. I was like, actually, I pray that you would protect and strengthen her and give her the courage, but also that you would arrest that teacher's mean spirit. Whatever it is would just stop. Um, amen. And Liv said, no, you need to pray for God's daughter. And I'm like, hang on, hang on a minute. And we went through this whole cycle, as you do with a five-year-old, of I did, you didn't, I did, you didn't. And it went on. And she said, Yo, you need to pray for her teacher because she is a daughter of God. 
And I was like, man, you, I've just been undone by a five-year-old. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was quite an interesting moment in my mind because when you see somebody through that lens, it softens you. I was like, oh, we just need to arrest this mean-spirited teacher. He said, no, you need to pray for her because she's a daughter of God. And there's quite a leveling of the playing field when we see things that way between sons and daughters and spiritual sons and daughters. Ultimately, they're all brothers and sisters. We are raising brothers and sisters. And ultimately, people need a faith of their own. And that gets challenged in the realities of life. So many times we find that ourselves, don't we? Can we let our children take a lead or do we have to be in control? Do we see our children's prayers as just cute and nice? Or do we see them as meaningful expressions of trust in God? And again, I mean that in terms of the spiritual parenting sense, the people that you lead or influence or are seeking to raise. Is it just a cuteness or a nicety? Or actually, do you see it that they're on a journey towards falling more in love with Jesus? And as they grow up and take risks, are we willing to let them do so? Or do we seek to protect and shield them from any possible hurt? Because actually stepping into faith means sometimes that risk is not always going to work out. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. After all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. Our greatest reward and our greatest delight should be seeing people find Jesus and stand on their own two feet in that relationship with him. That's my dream and my greatest longing for our children. It's my dream and my greatest longing for you, that you come to the fullness of a knowledge in Christ and you stand up and live that out. I'm longing that you live a life worthy of the calling that he's placed on and over your life. And as we, we kind of wrap up this little series, I just want to give you an outlet for a few things, a few things that you might have found hard. I kind of just want to speak into them. The first one is this. There is no perfect family. If, if, if you're thinking, well, I'm not that because they are, there is no perfect family. Just for a moment, let's stand in the shoes of King David, the David who killed Goliath and the David who wrote Psalm 23 as he waited for the news of his son Absalom. David could certainly have placed himself um, and, and seen himself that he'd planted some of the, the seeds of betrayal that his son was gonna go and live out. Sins that David had committed against his family. Mistakes of his over permissiveness that he himself had made. The times that he'd ignored his children to invest in the advancement of running the kingdom that he oversaw surely we could all add in a load of things there ourselves the busyness that we find in our jobs or our workplace or some of the crazy decisions that we've made that have had an impact on those that have watched on whether that be our children or our spiritual children that's caused them to question our integrity david may have planted some of those seeds but absalom made the choice to allow them to grow and because of his selfish desire to enjoy something of the luxuries of power and his openness to start listening to advisors who appealed to his pride, that's kind of what happened. It was the luxuries of his desire and some of the stuff that happened with his, with his, with his pride 
Absalom had successfully pushed his father completely out of the capital city. You almost get a very similar situation to what happened with the prodigal son. He's taken over his father's throne for a time and a season. I'm not going to read the passage because it will take us too long, but goodness me, how power can corrupt, how power can mess with us. Having the wrong voices speaking into your life can so quickly and easily corrupt you. How pride can corrupt. How thinking that you know best and you know better, how easily that can corrupt. How building something on your own reputation or your selfish ambition can corrupt. Honestly, I'd encourage you to dig into the story of David and Absalom and we want to humble ourselves afresh before the Lord and say, please let me not make the mistakes of those guys. But David responds with this humble trust rather than an arrogant anger. And he was reduced in his life in that moment to life's basics. He had a small group of supporters that lived alongside him in the countryside and he lived very, very simply depending on God to daily meet and supply his needs. I don't know because we're not necessarily told what was going through David's head in those moments, but maybe he was wondering if God was raising his son Absalom to replace him as a leader. What a humbling moment for him to find himself in. But it soon became clear that his son Absalom couldn't rule. He didn't have the authority to rule. He couldn't rule out of a spirit of anger and indulgence, which was the thing that he carried. How painful it must have been for David to see that in his own son his own offspring and realized this is the thing that he's inherited and some of the root of that was potentially from him. And as a result, this kingdom that he was trying to lead started to implode and David and his followers recapture the throne and Absalom is chased down and David wants his son to be brought before him, not for revenge. I mean, it might have been, but surely it wouldn't have been because this is his son regardless of some of the mistakes he's made, but he wanted to express forgiveness to his son. And he hopes for this moment of reconciliation. David's made some huge mistakes in his life and he knows that he's able to see God forgive and to restore. And then he gets the news. The news comes that his son has been killed and David is devastated. I'm just going to pick this bud up. It says in 2 Samuel 18, 33, the king was overcome with emotion. He went into the room over the gateway and he burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, Absalom, my son, Absalom. If only I died instead of you. Oh, my son, my son, my son. David's son betrayed him. And yet he never stopped loving his son. And when he died, instead of choosing to distance himself emotionally, which could have been the easier thing to do, he poured out his heart in an expression of grief and loss. And why, why, do I, why do I kind of highlight that story? Because it's the story of an imperfect father. It's the story of a selfish son. And it's the story of an incredibly tragic end. And yet it's also the story of a father that continued to love. And let, let me just say a few things to those of you that are burdened by your children. There's no such thing, honestly, as a perfect parent. Some of you are beating yourselves up 
for some of the decisions or things you've done or not done that you think would have made a difference. There's no such thing as a perfect parent, but there is such a thing as a perfect parent in heaven. And we've got to realign our perspective to that. Look how perfect he is, and yet look how many of his children have turned away. You know, even as a perfect father, his children have turned away. It kind of starts in the, the Garden of Eden. But if God's perfect love isn't a guarantee that people will follow him and that all people will follow his paths, how can we therefore place that burden on ourselves? And whatever you've embedded, you can't violate their free will to choose for themselves. And some of them have chosen for themselves. You will have done your best. And I just want to say to you this morning, I realize I'm, I'm probably speaking to a smaller group of people, but don't give up. Don't give up. You, you don't want people to give up on you, so don't give up on them. The challenge of not giving up can get incredibly tiring and weary. It can feel almost like I just can't go on. I haven't got anything left in me. But even in, the, in, in those wearying moments, the grace of God can and is working. And I know it's 24-7. I know you don't get a day off. I know there's no lunch breaks. I know you, you sometimes feel like you can't even be ill. And when you're not with your children, you're thinking of your children. But we don't find strength in our own strength. We need a hope and a power that comes from beyond ourselves. Matthew 11:28. then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your weary souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. One of the, the things that we will do that is so fundamental and foundational to all of this is understanding how we respond personally to God as a father. If, if you think of God as angry, you're going to feel justified in adopting a position of anger in your life. God desires to be a father to us, and we've got to learn to trust him as a father. You may know him as a creator, you may know him as a savior, you may know him as a judge, but do you know him as a father? And this is kind of how I want to round this series off, because he taught us to pray our father in heaven. I've, I actually find it really interesting. He didn't say pray my father, he said our father. It's not do this alone, it's do this together. I think there's something incredibly powerful in that. Maybe I'm reading too much into the words, but he says our father. He knew how important that level of relationship and trust is in our daily lives that the first thing we'd pray and cry out is our father. If you grew up with an absent or abusive father, somebody who wasn't able to speak into the emotional and spiritual transformation that can happen in your life, and, and, and your parenting and therefore the way you live, I, I just want to kind of level you afresh before the father. Because he, 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 he longs for us to trust him and know him as that. Can I just encourage all of us to consider a few healthy ways to relate to God as a father? And I realize even if you have a very healthy relationship or understanding of a father, I still think we have to reset it because your father, as great as they are, is not perfect. 
but our Father in heaven is perfect. The first is this. I'm just going to use the acronym of Father. The, the first is F, feel his compassion. You've got to know that he cares about you. Psalm 103, verse 13, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Your father understands your problems, your pain, and your potential. Compassion really means to feel with. Your father feels with alongside you. He's not just watching you. He has compassion for you. The second A, accept his love. Probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that ever who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The Father has unconditional love for you. 1 John 3, 1. See how very much our Father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are. Some of you almost just need to write that down and read that regularly. See how very much the Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. We cannot get for ourselves what can only be given by God. You can search your whole lives for things, for parents, for friends, for spouses, for children, but no human can give you unconditional love on the level that God offers it to us. We are creations of God, and that need can only be met, therefore, by God and through God. The third one is T, tell him your needs. Once I accept his love for me, I need to take the next step in my relationship with him, and that means an active conversation that includes my needs. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 8, don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this, our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. We talk to our Father in the knowledge that he knows our needs. Now, I guess the obvious question may well be, well, if he already knows what I need, why do I ask him? And we aren't asking to inform God of our needs. We're asking to depend on him for that need. It's quite a significant shift, but it doesn't always naturally happen unless we actually think it through. We're not informing him. We're depending on him. Lord, I need you for everything. H, heed his guidance. The Lord says in Psalm 32, verse 8, I will guide you along the best path for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. That can be really quite difficult, though, because so often we want to go our own way. Not always because that's a rebellion, but because sometimes we haven't necessarily seen it clearly or because it can be hard to trust what you cannot see. Have you ever thought it that way? It's not, a lack of guidance sometimes isn't actually a rebellion or a deliberate running from God. It's just because we're having to trust him for something that we can't see. And so we've got to step in even more so to say, Lord, guide me, be my guide. E, enjoy his presence. Trusting God as your father means more than relying on his provision and his direction. It means simply enjoying being in the presence of the one you love the most. And is he the one that we love the most? Or does it start to become other things? Ephesians 2 verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. We're taught to cry, Abba, Father. We're actually taught to cry, Daddy, Dad. 
It's like my dad, my father. God is not distant. God is actually near. And then our rejoice in his reward. Matthew 6, verse 4. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. God saw the good choices you made and grew out of faith in Jesus. And your father looks to reward you. Do you know that? You're not just trying to please this 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 kind of beast that is unpleasable he longs to reward you this is a relationship with a father sometimes you can feel that god is out to get you have you have you felt like that because the truth is he's actually into waiting and longing to take joy in you he's not out to trip you up he's waiting to delight in you galatians 4 7 you're no longer a slave but god's own child and since you're his child god made you his heir we can trust God as a father. You know, for, for some of you, where your father was cruel or your father was distant or harsh or almost unpleasable, you, you may find a refreshing breakthrough as you start to see and learn to see God as the father that you never had and the father who fulfills what your father never was to you. And I, if, if that is you, and I realize this is hard for some of you, I just want to encourage you to pray a prayer that may be something like this. God, I now accept you as the father that I never had. I was disappointed with my father, but you will never disappoint me. I just want to encourage you to, to almost acknowledge and own some of the things so that then you can undo them with the truth of who he is. I was disappointed by my father, but you will never disappoint me. I never knew my earthly father, but I do know you. See the thing that is wrong and then try and undo it with the truth. I was hurt by my earthly father, but I'm healed by you. I was ignored by my earthly father, but I have your full and constant attention. I could never meet the expectations of my earthly father, but I can find freedom from expectations in your grace. That might be the kind of prayer that you want to I often dwell on on the words that the angel said to Mary Jesus's mother it says this in Luke 1 nothing is impossible for God Mary said I'm the Lord's servant let it happen as you have said and the angel left her now i'm not naive enough to think none of us are actually going to face some of the challenges that mary faced in the way she did she was seeking to get her head around the promise of a virgin birth but i do think there's some things that we can learn because the price the things if we place the things that trouble our heart and unsettle our spirit before god in the way she did it's incredibly powerful. Mary discovered that God can make the impossible possible. We often look to statistics to measure possibility, don't we? That's quite a natural, normal thing to do. But God is not limited by statistics. As, as we finish, let me just have a real quick look at a couple of stages that Mary goes through in trusting God for the impossible. Firstly, that is the, is the feeling is fear. Okay, you will often experience fear and confusion. The answer is to listen to what God is saying and saying about you. Don't miss what he's saying. This is what the angel said to Mary. Luke 1, 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favoured woman, the Lord is with you. 
Highly favoured was a term and a phrase that was used to address kings and priests, not a peasant girl. Part of overcoming fear was listening to what God said about her rather than her own opinion of herself. Just think for a moment what God says about you. As his child, you are highly favoured. He loves you. You are his treasured one. The second thing is, is often it just seems ordinary. I find it amazing that the miracle happened in such an ordinary way. I know it wasn't really ordinary, but it kind of was. Jesus was born as a baby. How ordinary, on the one hand, can it get? Would you have expected his entrance to be in a much more spectacular way for a king that was going to come? Jesus was born in a normal way, in pretty much an ignored corner of the world. God makes the impossible possible in ordinary ways. Despite what might feel as mundane, God is working and he's moving in and through you to teach you to raise you how to be a father, to teach you to raise you how to invest in spiritual sons and daughters. The third thing is, is this. It usually brings more problems at first. I don't know if you found that. Whenever you step into what you're seeking as the impossible to become possible, often at first you will just find resistance or problems. Mary and Joseph faced the unexplained pregnancy. I think we can quickly gloss over that sometimes, but it's like, that would have been a big deal. Then a terribly timed trip to Bethlehem. No room at the inn, labor in the stable, no crib but a feeding trough. All the problems didn't make the slightest dent in God's miracles that were coming. Struggle in the midst of miracles is often the rule rather than the exception in the Bible. Have you found that? Have you seen that? If we just look at the pages of the Bible, it was constantly struggle, but then the miracle came. There's no doubt being a parent or a spiritual parent will bring you more challenges rather than less challenges in your life. But our problems do not limit God's possibilities. We often think that the minute we move into problems or we hit problems or snags, all hope is gone. But the reality is, for the impossible to be possible in your life, there will certainly be challenges and uncertainties along the way. And then the final thing that I think we really learn from her is it's all just a matter of faith. Where, 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 do, you, where do you find your faith to raise others, to invest in others, to believe in others, to see more in them than sometimes you see in yourself? I think first you look within you Luke 1:38. the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Raising others involves every moment of life. You need the power of God upon you in every moment of your life. That's what the Spirit desires to give you. Life going forward doesn't have to be determined by the way that you were raised. Not if you're filled with the Spirit of God. It doesn't have to be governed by how things have been. Not if you're filled with the Spirit of God. It doesn't have to be limited by what is now or what you may think is now. Not if you have the Spirit of God living within you. You've got to look within you and then you've got to look around you. Look at who God has put in your life to be a support and encouragement. You look at that example in the life of Mary. She had a, re a relative, Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist at the time. No one was facing what Mary was facing. 
It's so easy, isn't it, to, to try and run in your own lane, but you don't understand, you don't know, you've not been through what I've been through. Oh, Elizabeth, you wouldn't understand, I'm actually pregnant with the Son of God. Because nobody's, nobody else is going to be able to step into that place or compare that one. But you don't need necessarily those alongside you that have faced exactly what you have faced. Don't be limited by that mindset. But allowing others to share in the wisdom and the journey alongside you is incredibly powerful. And that's what Mary did with Elizabeth. Look within you, look around you, and then look above you. The angel directed Mary's attention to God because God is greater and far greater than any opportunity or problem that you may ever encounter. Psalm 104, verse 1. Let all that I am praise the Lord. O Lord my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and majesty. You're dressed in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. You make the clouds your chariot and you ride upon the wings of the wind. Mary choose to trust God and it led her to places that she could never have imagined, to a barn in Bethlehem, to exile in Egypt, to protect her baby Jesus, to temporarily losing Jesus at the temple when he was 12, to being present at the first miracle when he was 30, to watching him die on a cross when he was 33. Her trust led her to the empty tomb and a resurrected Jesus at the upper room and the beginning of the church. You have no idea where your trust and your faith might lead you if you let it. But you can't control your circumstances, but you can be confident despite them because you're placing your trust in an eternal father. You won't be perfect, but you can rely and learn to rely on one who is and through whom we should be placing all of our time and our focus anyway. Why don't we stand together? just um, open ourselves to the Holy Spirit. He's a person who is present, who we can know and experience. Some of you might want to just give him the space. might want to close your eyes or adopt a posture that would allow him to move freely. Lord, we welcome you. Just, just sense that there's for for a number of you there's um there's like a cord between you and your parents that uh, even if they have been great, that's caused you to put them on a pedestal. And I'm not trying to diminish the role that they've played in your life, but I just want you to know someone who's greater. 
and for that understanding of a father to be realigned and for a number of you it will be that they haven't been great or there has been a number of things that have been left lacking or wanting I pray today for a deposit of the Holy Spirit in quite a remarkable way some of you have, have, have harboured things like a almost like an earthly drive, a drive for perfectionism or desire to please others or whatever it might be. I just think the Lord's just going to reset some of that today. Some of you, it's actually outworked in like almost an anxiety or a stress or a physical condition, just the, the burden of that. Just as well, I have quite a strong sense when Jesus said to Peter... Upon this rock I will build my church. I think for some of you, um, there's, there's, there's been painful experiences of church that has limited your understanding of your father. But also some of you, I think he's quite specifically laying something on you today that he, he puts a mantle on people to build his church. I think there was like a, uh, almost like an anointing today for some of you to step into what he has for you. That he's coming back for his church and he wants you to carry a, a love and a desire and a, it's, it's actually, a, it's like an act of service to be spent afresh on him. And some of you, I think that will have just caught you off guard. You weren't, didn't come in thinking that was happening. It's just the Lord is just going to deposit that. And and some of you, it's um, it's like a heart response to some of what Kate was sharing earlier about the pantry. It's like our, 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 our calling is to lay our lives down for the poor and the needy, that the cross would be our only allegiance. It's what we sang earlier. It's just a realigning of, Lord, I, I want to give of myself to the lost, the last and the least. As the, for some of you that feels, it's quite like a, it's like in your gut, it's like a, it feels even in this moment quite weighty and burdensome, it is, it definitely is. When I was praying and asking, Lord, what, what is it that you want to say? What is it that you want to do among these people? Um, I just felt like he gave me a whole bunch of um, physical things um, that relate to probably physical healing. So some of them may resonate. One may, all may, none may. But I'm just going to put them out there. So one is um, a problem with the, the left ear. Another one is um, <clears throat> um, pain at the back of your head. Um, so headaches sort of start in the back of your head and then just start shooting down your shoulders, sort of transmitting down your back. Um, another one is um, a problem with the, top, the bone or the, um, the cartilage at the top of your spine. Another was lower abdominal pain. And, yeah, it was just downloading all these different things and they all the ones I can remember. So if I remember any others, I will, I will put them out there. But why don't we respond? Why don't we just um, come to the front, come to the sides, just 
while everyone's standing, it's a good time just to slip out of your rows and let's respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing, whether it's, yeah, it's just whatever it is. And anything else, of course, that we may not have mentioned. Anyone that just wants to experience God's presence, be prayed for, um, just come. And I will make sure that someone comes and prays with you. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.